betray me. Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast. Encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Hey, everybody. Howdy. Good to be back, isn't it? It's 4th of July weekend, so I know we've got a lot of folks traveling, and we also got some of you who are visiting for the first time, so if that describes you and you would like to connect with us, you, you know, we just, we just love to meet you and your family, so thanks for being here. Let me pray, and then I, I just want to really work through that Galatians reading more than the gospel reading tonight, because I think it might have some things for us to, to sit down with and maybe guide us through, you know, maybe how we think about the world right now. So pray with me. Lord, we, we're just so thankful for the mercy that you bring that's new every morning, and whatever we experienced last week, what are we experienced even today? We know that we can look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who teaches us your way of gentleness, the one who sends us out as lambs. And we just trust that you go with us. And so, Lord, would you also be with us here as we gather together in your name, Jesus, and open our hearts to your word once again. Amen. So here it is, the 4th of July weekend, and I just, I don't know if you guys feel this, but over the last couple of years, I've hit this holiday season, and I've just been a little, like, taken back. I just have felt, like, a little deflated because of the country and what I see when I kind of look out around the world, and it just seems like there's so much conflict, and not just like arguments, but like serious things going on right now in our world. And we don't need a survey and survey information to figure that out, right? But I did um, discover this one. It's called the Unity Index. It was done by Vanderbilt. And um, they did this survey a couple of years ago, back in 2020, 2021. And they use these five components just to kind of get a sense of how unified we are in the United States. Here's the five components. The first is presidential approval. The second is ideological extremism. Like if you're conservative or liberal, like you're, now people are more strongly conservative or more strongly liberal. Social trust, number three. Number four, congressional polarization. And number five, protests and civil unrest. They use these five components, and guess what? You know, we're more polarized now than we have been since, in some ways, since 1981. That was a, a marker that they used, that we've noticed a steady um, increase in how extreme we've become on our views. We don't have to read these studies to know, like, social trust seems to be in a steady decline. That's been happening, they said, since the year 2000. And we only need to kind of revisit some of our experiences from the last year before we recognize how much protest and civil unrest we see. This is the world that we live in today. So here's the question, like, what's the church supposed to do about that? 
What's the calling of the church when it comes to the reality of our world? Let me just pause with that question for a minute and go to the book of Galatians because the backdrop of Galatians is that Paul had planted this church. Galatians is in modern-day Turkey. So Paul plants this church in modern-day Turkey, and the church is doing very well. In fact, it's doing so well, you've got like mass people coming into the church, people of difference, people that are, 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 are not simply um, historically Jewish in their family of origin. Now you've got Gentiles, non-Jewish converts coming into the church. And so now you have these social, racial, ethnic distinctions that are coming in together and in the same room together as we try to worship Jesus. So Paul pins this letter, this epistle, to the church at Galatia. The backdrop there is that there were these teachers, we believe, that were insisting that the Gentile converts would continue on with the circumcision practices and some of the dietary rules and regulations that had been in place in the Jewish culture. And so Paul's saying, wait a minute, and I I don't want to conflate too much here. I don't want to say that's exactly what we deal with today, because it's not. It's not the same But I think what's similar is the heart of the matter. What do we do, what do we do when we face disappointments and disagreements? How do we move through conflict? Not just out there in the world, but within the church. What do we do? Someone will sin against you in the church. Someone will disappoint you. As a pastor, at some point, I will disappoint you. What do we do when we hit those experiences? Paul directs us when we find ourselves in those experiences to return to the gospel of Jesus. We just have to resist that human tendency to add to or take away from this deep truth that Jesus Christ saves sinners. We just want to add to that or take away or, or, or some, we, we get funky with that, that beautiful, deep, and simple truth. We get funky with that. And Jesus, Jesus models a way for us to move beyond our conflicts and that we're infused with the Holy Spirit that helps us move beyond any, any connection that doesn't go well, like if we're just at odds with one another, that the Holy Spirit is in us so that we can move beyond that. Amen. So, when we looked at, at the fractured nature of our country and we asked, is the church supposed to do anything about this? We say yes. We say unequivocally yes. And here at, at Mission Cleveland, like we've taken a position that says like, we, we don't want to be a church that just isolates ourselves from the community. Like, we want to be incarnationally embedded in this community with the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm not trying to say that we do that better than any other church. That's not my point. My point is that our hope is this, that we've said yes, that we want to do something about some of the conflicts and the yuck that we see in our world because we believe that's what Jesus would do. 
And so over the next few weeks, we're just working through this sermon series on neighborliness. And I just want to ask us tonight, like, what does it mean to be good neighbors? What does it mean for us to be good neighbors? Here's how I think Paul is answering that question in the sixth chapter of Galatians. Here's what he says. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is what Paul says. The law of Christ isn't merely some just new replacement law that just goes past the law from the past. It's not just something that just replaces a, with a new set of rules and principles. Like it's an entirely new way of living in the world. The law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, Paul says. What does that require of us? It, it, it makes us open our eyes to the reality of the hurt of someone else or the pain of someone else and not walk away from it, to actually like move toward that. It's so counterintuitive in some sense, right? But that when we see someone hurting, like we want to move toward them and say, I can help you carry that. That you don't have to carry that alone. As a follower of Jesus, like let's lift this load together. Just a, a personal story here. Over the last month, as, as many of you know, our, our daughter Kenna and I asked if I could share this story she had this major neurosurgery because we just couldn't control her seizures. She was just, you know, they were, they were, medication just wouldn't control. They were resistant to medication. And so we get there at Vanderbilt on Monday morning, three weeks ago, tomorrow, and I get my oil stock out of my pocket and I anoint my daughter with oil. And she, within 30 seconds, has like the worst seizure we've ever seen her have. It was just heartbreaking to see it. And we couldn't, like, I had to run outside to get, like, the emergency med again. And, and, and Julie and I just sat there, and we were like, what do you want us to do, Lord? Like, we're doing everything. We have no other answer. I pray to God this surgery works for her. By God's grace, like, so far, like, three weeks without a seizure. Praise the Lord. Yes. But, Yes. But we send her away. How hard it is to send your daughter away into a surgery that way. And Julie and I, we, we just went out to the courtyard and we just did our morning prayer. And these sparrows just came. They just started to feed right at our feet. And we just remembered how precious even the sparrow is and how much more so are we. How God provides for them and he provides for us. And then we just started to get these texts from our friends and our family, people we don't even know were sending us texts. Some, someone wrote Kenna a poem. I don't even know who it was. Just wrote her a poem. I, haven't, I don't even think I've read that poem to you, Kenna. I'll have to read that when we get home. But it's just amazing. I, it's an example of feeling very lifted up by the church that there were other people that were carrying that burden with us, that even though Julie and I went there and we were experiencing that, we weren't alone. You were with us. I just want to say thank you to this church specifically. I, 
I think it can be easier, easier, it's still not easy, but I think it can be easier for us to carry one another's burdens when there's someone suffering. But what about when you disagree with someone? It gets a little bit more challenging there, doesn't it? Got a disagreement or a conflict. We want to just kind of walk away from that or not engage. How do we carry one another's burden in those circumstances, when we, when we have an ideological difference or when we think differently or when we're conflicted with one another. I just think in those experiences, we have a harder time accessing the compassion of Jesus. And Paul says to the church in Galatia, if you bite and devour one another, you'll be consumed by one another. Like, there's only one road that leads down. Like, if you're biting and devouring one another, eventually you're going to be consumed by one another. And I think in this sense, too, we live in a consumer society. I think for many of us, we've been bitten. We've been bitten by disagreements. We've been bitten by letdowns. We've been bitten inside the church. We've been bitten outside the church. And for some of us, some of us have started to bite back a little bit. And we have to, like, slow down, don't we? You're laughing. <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? It's true. And I know the, the factions that were present in the first century when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Galatia, they're not the same factions as we experience today. But friends, we are divided in many, many ways. There's a lot of division. And so Paul gives this word to the church, bear with one another, to be as Christ to one another. Paul says, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to all. Here's the thing. I think this is important as I thought about goodness a lot this past week. I don't think we agree on what goodness is today. I don't think there's a consensus on what goodness is. The Greek word for goodness can mean good, it can mean fitting, it can mean honest, it can mean beautiful, it can mean better than. Like, this thing is good because it's better than that thing over there. Goodness. What is goodness? Oftentimes it's used in Scripture, in Matthew 5, it's used to describe our conduct. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So goodness can refer to our conduct. It's, it's about doing what's right, doing the right thing. But it can also refer to the quality of something. So if you remember that story in John 2, Jesus' first miracle at the wedding, the master of the feast says, Everyone serves the good wine first, but you brought the good. You brought the good for last. It's quality. You can taste the difference. When it's good, you know it's good. There's a quality taste that's different. And Jesus says of himself, 
I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does goodness mean? And when we look at the, the fractured landscape of America, how is the church to be good neighbors? Like, what does that look like for us? It can be confusing. Friends, we, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to submit ourselves to the scriptures so that we know what goodness is. Like if we're looking outside of our relationship with Jesus and outside of what we read in God's word, like we will not be able to understand what goodness is. The world will not deliver that definition to us. It won't. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we model our lives after the gospel of Jesus, I think there's a lot that Paul's saying here. There's a lot that he's saying, but I just want to draw two rules. I think he's pointing out that we may discover as we model our lives through the law of Christ. Here's the first one. Recommit ourselves to gentleness. Recommit ourselves to gentleness. Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's hard to like, move into that place of correction. Like if someone is sinning against you and you need to go to that person and try to work that relationship out. That is not an easy thing to do. I think a lot of times, though, like what frustrates me, I'm just going to speak personally, what frustrates me isn't that necessarily someone sinned against me. I'm just, I just get disappointed by others. I just get disappointed with them. And I think there's two challenges that when we get in that place, that, that conflict, again, where it's hard to move on, I think there's at least a couple of things that we tend to do. One of them, we just kind of elevate ourselves. Just say, gosh, you know, I can't believe they posted that. Or I can't believe they said that. Or I can't believe they didn't do this or didn't say this or didn't show up or didn't whatever or did this. We just kind of put ourselves up here. We elevate ourselves. And so Paul says, keep watch on yourself too. Keep watch on yourself Gentleness really requires empathy. Gentleness requires empathy. It requires at some level that we imagine what it's like being in the other person's shoes. And gentleness acknowledges that the way we've been sinned against or or hurt, we could easily express that same sinfulness or hurt to someone else. It's so easy for us. By God's grace, we maybe didn't in that situation, but we could have easily gone there and done it too. And so if we want to be gentle, I just have to admit to myself, like, I'm not better than anybody else in the room. I've been given a beautiful life by God's grace, but I'm not better than anyone else in the room. So we can elevate ourselves, but we can also see ourselves as inferior to others. And so when the conflict comes, we just kind of back away, bow out. Sometimes I think, man, I just, I, I just want that person to think good of me. I want their approval, and so I'm not going to even go there. I'll just let this one slide. I'll just let it go. 
But if it's, if it's impacting the goodness of God, we should say something about it. We need to say something about it. We need to move toward the restoration of goodness in the world. Amen. Even if it means someone won't approve of us. And that's hard, right? Because sometimes, guilty, by the way, sometimes we can put our desire for the approval of someone else above our love for Jesus and the gospel. And that's a hard word. I don't mean to shame anyone here. I just, just recognize that's part of the fabric of being the church together, and we just want to pay attention to those parts of ourselves. Paul's guidance is to move toward others with gentleness. Jesus says, I'm sending you out two by two as sheep among wolves. Why sheep? Why sheep? Why a lamb? Because in the gentleness of a lamb is the power of resurrection and the hope of the world. It's not in our own power. It's in the gentleness of Jesus and what he models. So carrying one another's burden, it leads us to recommit ourselves to the rule of gentleness, but also to live through the rule of new creation. That is great. That is a big storm. I'm already fighting the milk machine and now the thunder. This led, hopefully we keep our power. Let the, let the reality of God's new creation in us work through us. Can we live through that? I think when we live out of the rule of new creation, we realize that we're already in a space where God's creating goodness. We're already there. We don't have to, like, use our power. We don't have to force goodness in the room. Like, we have to receive it, though. Like, it's there. God is always bringing his goodness in our midst. And are we open and receptive to the work that God is doing? We don't have to force goodness in the world through our own power. You get that like goodness and power like are, are, are opposed to one another. Like when you're like working out with your own power, like you're almost canceling out goodness right there. And when we can drop and say, okay, I don't want to have it my way. I'm going to lay that down and let God work his goodness out in me. Maybe we make way for God's goodness to be in us and expressive of us. In our own power, we will miss the mark of God's goodness. We'll fall into sin. I really believe that. We may not even be able to see our neighbor, much less ask the question, how can we be good neighbors in our own power? And for those who are forcefully requiring circumcision in the church of Galatia, Paul says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, he says. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that verse. He says, it's not what you and I do, submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. It's what God is doing. And he's creating something totally new, a free life. How would our conflicts change? Like if we just backed up from it for a moment and said, I wonder what God's doing in the room right now. What if we backed away from the conflict and stopped trying to get our way and said, Lord Jesus, you're doing something, God. You are bringing your goodness in the midst of us right now. And we said, how can I be your participa participating friend? Sorry. 
how can I participate with you in this? To me, like, I think we can get locked up in the conflict and we're just trying to win, we're just trying to go, and that just doesn't go anywhere. There is no freedom in that. And here we are on this holiday where we celebrate freedom and we see our world just seem to be so much pain. And let me just ask you, you know, how are you participating in the gentleness of Jesus? How are you expressing your life as a new creation, something that goes beyond the flimsy conflicts that we so often see in our world and be renewed in the gospel of our Lord that is power for those who believe. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week.